Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Salad Cast this season. This week I'm joined by three gents. Uh, Mike, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? All right, mate. Still buzzing from yesterday. Um, but yeah, pretty, pretty good after four good wins. Yeah, no, it should be good. And Chris, welcome back to the podcast again. And some victories for you to talk about, which is um, obviously, um, yeah, close to your heart. So, yeah, a bit of a running joke. But, um, yeah, good to have you back on the podcast, mate. Always a pleasure to be here, mate. And as you say, even more of a pleasure after four victories in a row. So, yeah, looking forward to a good chat over the next hour or so. And Dan, welcome back on the podcast again. And you, you picked up a question that we had from, from last episode, um, which I think is a nice way to kind of take us into the intro and kind of where we are right at the moment. Yeah, I remember one of the questions we we we, we solicited really from 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 the Twitter article was about you know we we asked them to ask us about anything and and Steve asked us um, I, I don't know Steve but uh, Steve on Twitter asked us how many games does Cotchell have to lose before his job's at risk um, and I thought at the time of course it's it was a fair question but I, I do vaguely remember saying look the world can change quite quickly and you know a bad run of results can actually soon change into a pretty good run of results I'll be honest. I didn't see four wins out of four incoming. And particularly with like, you know, we've become the kings of injury time goals. I didn't see all that happening, but it just goes to show, doesn't it? Two weeks. And I don't think anybody's saying that uh, Cottrell's position is going to be in any danger anytime soon. So, um, yeah, so, so so all good. I'm glad that Steve's, Steve's question is purely academic uh, for the moment, at least. Yeah, that was a funny point. Yeah, we were... Yeah, you, you're guaranteeing us basically wins, Dan, and, and you've delivered. So, yeah, we've got four games to talk about in this podcast, four wins, uh, which is rare. Um, I saw Stuart Dunn said we did it in the Paul Hurst season, but obviously that's a few years back now. Um, so, yeah, so yeah, it's um, going to be a good podcast. And, yeah, let's jump into it. Okay, so the first game we've got uh, this week was uh, Burton Albion nil, Shubertown four. Uh, back on the fourteenth of January, uh, so probably the probably the first serious game after the festive period, which wasn't up to much with the four losses before. So we were looking for a good result. Um, we had a goal from Christian Sadie in the first minute, uh, and then another one on the forty-second. Luke Leahy with a penalty in the fifty-eighth minute after half-time, and Che Dunkley uh, in the ninety-fourth with a with a little cheeky fourth, the cherry on the cake. Um, so the team was uh, uh, Steve Cottrell's usual 3-5-2 away from home. We had Morosi in goal, uh, Pennington, Dunkley, Flanagan, centre-halves, uh, Moore and Shipley playing the wing-back roles, uh, Winchester and Leahy and Phillips in the middle, and Sidey and Street up top. Um, it's probably what I would say, I don't know if you guys agree, the strongest team we've got at the moment. Um, after sort of the, the four losses in a row, I felt we needed a bit more energy in the in the side, especially in the midfield, and, and Phillips has really given us that since we signed him. So... Um, yeah, I, I don't know, Ollie. Did, did you think there was much to be said about the team selection that day? No, at this point, we still we weren't sure about injuries, were we? And the bench wasn't as strong as it was this weekend um, going into the Burton game. So, yeah, it's a team that um, we expected. Um, and, yeah, I think Phillips, um, I think um, everyone all agree, has been a really good addition to, to the middle of the park. And, and damn that, we needed that bit of energy, didn't we, put into the middle? Yeah, we did. And, and I think Phillips definitely provides it. He's box to box. And there's little things I like about Phillips. I mean, we'll get to the, you know, to, to the game, um, the, the fourth of these games in due course. But I mean, he was the first to jump into the crowd when he was celebrating. He, he's all over it, Phillips, isn't he? He's, he's massively up for it. And I've got no problem with that whatsoever. That's great. And and I think things like that give us an energy that, that we perhaps didn't quite have before. Um, and, you know, he, he's clearly going to go somewhere, Phillips. I'm intrigued to see where he is in five years' time. 
He loves it, doesn't he? He's absolutely bang up for it, and it's, it's good to see. So he's been a good addition, I think. Um, before we get into the game, it's probably worth noting that that was uh, Pennington's 100th game for the town. Um, and I think in that time, as a centre-half, he scored 10 goals and three assists. Um, and I think he's just been a fantastic signing. I think, you know, hats off to the club for getting a, a guy like him from Everton in. Um, he seems to really love the town. I think we've covered him before anyway on previous podcasts, all of us. Um, I just hope that, I don't know when his contract runs out, but I'm hoping that we might line up another one for him relatively soon and he'd like to sign it. So, um, yeah, here's to 100 more for Matt Pennington. Um, I don't know what you think about that. Oli, you got any thoughts about Pennington on that one? Yeah, there was a really cheeky tweet from the club with Pennington and the chairman, not on this weekend, a few weeks after. And I don't know whether that was a little hint at something that was maybe being discussed or maybe they were just um, being a bit cheeky. But yeah, it would be a great signing. Um, and yeah, it'd be nice. You know, we don't have many players, do we, Chris, that kind of stay and sign another contract. So that would be nice. Yeah, well, I think uh, it was Phil, if uh, Phil Thomas, I'm sure, listens to this podcast. He tweeted some stuff on social media about uh, he had a lovely graphic that showed our longest serving players. And I think you have to go back now a good 10 years to find anybody who's broken into the top 10 on that list. So we haven't had any really long serving players over recent years, apart from Sean Wally. Uh, and yeah, very few players have broken into it. So it'd be lovely to, if Pennington could be one that goes on and gets to 200. And, you know, it'd be great if that went on and became 300 as well. But I suppose the vagaries of the modern game, Pennington looks so good that I suppose the risk is that at the end of his contract, there's bigger clubs than us that might want to take him. And, you know, he's an ambitious footballer. You couldn't blame him for taking that opportunity. But he's really come on leaps and bounds this year, not just as a defender, but obviously he's contributing so much at the other end now. What is it now? Six or seven goals and that most of those corners from headers. So he's a real threat in the opposition box. So, yeah, he's become a real key part of this team. Uh, not just for his defending, but yeah, for his contributions to our goals column as well. So I'd love to see him stay for longer. Yeah, I think the thing I noticed with Pennington is, I mean, I, I've got a, a, a good friend down here who's a Leeds fan. And he said, oh, is that a Matthew Pennington who played for us? He was useless. And, and I've got another friend who's a Hull fan who said, oh, bloody hell, he was, he was shocking with us. And it, the, the reason for this is clearly about playing regularly. You know, he suddenly, for the first time in, Eight years, I think it was that he that, that he was a professional at Everton, playing regular football, defined as twenty five games a season. And everybody improves when they get a bit of practice, right? Mm. And and the more he's played for the town, the better he's got because he's grown into the role. He knows what he has to do, not just in theory but in practice. And I, and I think I think my worry is the same as Chris. There are other people who are going to see this uh, and are, and are going to see him potentially as a Championship centre half. And and you couldn't really blame them, and you couldn't really blame him if he opted to go go down that route at the end of the season. But we shall see. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it, right? Yeah, it's an interesting point you make that, Dan, actually. It probably leads into um, into the game against Burton and, and uh, Christian Sadie, um, who had a, apparently a bit of a torrid loan over at, at Burton, didn't really pull up any trees. And he comes away with two goals in this match as well. And that's through, I think, uh, a manager that backs him, playing regularly, playing every week, um, and knowing that he's a, he's a key member of the team. So it's huge things to be said for taking these young lads in and really believing in them. Uh, I think it really produces good footballers. So... Um, on the day, um, only sort of three and a half thousand in the stadium at Burton. It's always a, a small crowd there. Um, they've done well to punch above their weight, really, over the past few seasons. But um, we got off to a hell of a start, let's say, um, you know, 18 seconds after the kickoff um, and town and one up. So uh, Burton had the kickoff. They pumped one up the channel in one of those sort of almost rugby kickoffs where you try and gain possession. Uh, but Pennington saw that off very easily with a, with a really strong header into the middle of the pitch. Leahy's in there, he's, he's battling, he's, he's, he's scrapping for it already and, and the, the ball ends up bouncing its way away to, to Rob Street, just around sort of the centre circle. Um, he gets a little, sort of lobs it forward. I think he's just giving Sadie something to run after and, and create some space for the team just to sort of set into the game. 
but a bit of a calamitous act for the Burton players. Um, the keeper's running at it. The defender's running back to it. Neither of them really put the hand up for who's going to deal with it. Sadie has quite a lot of distance to catch up on the defender, but he uses his great pace and just commits to the commits to win the ball. The keeper sort of jumps out the way. The defender jumps out the way, and, and Sadie's there to slot it into an empty net. And I must admit, I was only just sitting down with a cup of tea because I was watching this on the on the telly by ways and means uh, when the goal was scored, and I stood back up to celebrate and nearly spilt it all over the carpet. So um, it was a brilliant start. Um, I, I don't know, you guys. I mean, would, would any of you really really expecting that to come along, Chris? I think you know. Town when they go up early, it's always a bit of a nail biter. Then, so what do you think of that start? Well, electric start. Eighteen seconds. We were talking about uh, appearances with Pennington just now, and I was saying about long time since anyone made the top ten. But that goal did make the top ten of our fastest ever football league goals from some stats that were shared on social media, and it's certainly the second fastest I've ever seen in my thirty odd years of watching Town. The only one I've seen to beat it was O'Neill Donaldson against Berry back in 1993-94. So you're going back a long time. It's, you know, goals in the first minute are special, but they don't happen that often. But goals inside 20 seconds are, you know, they're, they're like, uh, you know, they're like gold dust. Uh, so they don't they, they don't come along very often. So real enjoyable moments and couldn't get off to a better start, could you? It just gives Shrewsbury a lift, just what they needed. And uh, yeah, we, we kicked on from there. Yeah, especially after the four-game losing streak, I think getting, getting ahead really early, just settled everybody's nerves a little bit. Um, funny you should go back to O'Neill O'Donnell's that was my first season watching the Tang Chris so you brought back a memory there um, but yeah it was uh, like you said it was a good start I think after that the Tang kind of panicked and didn't really know what to do and, and, and Burton had a few a few, a little bit of a foothold in the game but it was it was fairly fairly even I think fairly sort of pitch battle stuff in the midfield it, it wasn't really a lot to write home about and I think we sort of I think we just tried to sort of take the sting out of Burton and, and, and see the first half out ahead Um you know, I think there was one chance for Burton that just sort of got deflected wide from a shot inside the box. Um, and then really, it wasn't until just before the half-time whistle that um, anything else really happened on the 42nd minute. So um, it was Sadie again, um, who, when he scored, gave the Burton fans a little bit of grief, as if to say, you know, you, you, you sort of call me terrible when I played for you, but here's two goals for you. Um, so it was nice to see him celebrate. So um, Rob Street's in the box on the left-hand side. Um, he's battling away for the ball. Um, he kind of goes down. I don't know if it looked like the defender caught him, but he goes down looking for a penalty, I think, and then he doesn't hear a whistle and then he pops straight back up again, which footballers will want to do. Um, and there's a bit of a scramble, almost like the primary school kids chasing after the ball, kicking into each other. And it just somehow pops the ball out to Sadie on the half volley and he absolutely lashes the ball home uh, from Rob just, just outside the penalty spot. Um and again, it's another good goal for a striker in form. And, and that, you know, going in just before half time, 2 0 up, you did feel like the game was ours then. And we'd have to do something pretty desperate to, uh, to mess it up. I don't know what you thought, Dan. You were happy, happy come half time? Oh, yeah, over the moon, to be honest. Um, but there's two things about that I thought were really interesting. And, and I know it's a cliche, but, you know, goals change games and all that business. But we're, we're on a bad run. So what would be really helpful? You know, a bit of luck, a bit of calamitous defending in the first 20 seconds. You know, I mean, that, 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 that's really something that we needed at that moment. It's easy to, to forget that now. We've had four wins on the bench, but but then we, we were definitely not in, in, in the same place. So, you know, we had a bit of luck, but that goal changes things, as does the goal in the 42nd minute. Because I thought Burton, they look classically like a team that are going to go down, right? Because I thought going forward, they were okay. As you say, they had a couple of chances. They had a couple of boys who were good on the ball. And yet we scored the second goal. 
just before half time. And you're right. If, if we'd have not won that game, then then you do begin to fear as to will we ever win a game again ever. Um, but I thought it was quite important. The timing of the goals, uh, the way they came, and particularly the first one. And also because Burton weren't that bad going forward, but they showed why they're near the bottom. They could make some pretty calamitous defensive mistakes. And we've been we've seen Shrewsbury Town sides that have, uh, have done that in the past. So, you know, Burton looked to me like a team that are going to be having a long, you know, a long three months now. Yeah, I'd agree with that as well. And um and and like you say, going in going in just at, just before half time, two up, I think the lads, um, I think we've seen over the preceding games, you know, the four that we're covering today, the confidence in the squad is back, it's sky high again, isn't it? It's it's that sort of it's that sort of first half that just gets people going. And if you can keep the momentum going, which uh, which we did, I think it's really positive. So I mean, we didn't have to to wait terribly long after the after the half time whistle. Um on 58 minutes, uh, that was Luke Leahy with uh, with the next goal um, from the penalty spot. And I think this was a, a real skillful goal by Leahy um, to make the penalty himself. So, Taylor Moore's out on the right-hand side. He gets the ball knocked back to him by uh, Sadie, I think. And he just seems to pump in a really sort of quite solidly hit um, first-time cross, trying to find Leahy. Um, he was just around the penalty spot again. Lee takes one touch to control the ball. And as it's bouncing, he flicks it over his head. And he sort of gets through in between two defenders and leaves him a bit of dust. But his flick's taking him away from goal a little bit. And he's just scrambling to try and keep the ball in play and maybe sort of recycle it back into the box. And for some reason, unknown to me, the Burton defender just goes to ground, goes straight through the back of him. Um, I thought, clear as day, a penalty on the day. I don't know what you thought, Ollie. It just seemed to be just a bit of a rush of blood by the Burton defender. Yeah, it was a really, really poor decision. Amazing skill from Leahy. It was one of those, oh, like you really kind of really got my attention. It was an amazing bit of skill from Leahy. And yeah, really, really silly, um, silly decision. But I think it was Brayford who is yeah, getting on a little bit now. He's 34. And yeah, as Dan said, Burton's defence is not the best. And when they make decisions like that, um, yeah, that's that's the team that's going to struggle. And um, and a funny thing I noticed is when Leahy wins the penalty, he, he... He's right in front of the Shrewsbury Town media team with a little handheld camera, and he goes straight up to it, and he and he says something like "aeroplane" down the le- down the lens of the camera because the, the town media team put it out afterwards, and you're thinking, "What the hell's that?" So then he steps up, very cool penalty, sends the keeper the wrong way, just rolls it into the left hand side of the goal, and then he's off celebrating, doing an aeroplane impression, and I think it's something for his son. I think he put on Twitter afterwards where his son like loves football and he's running around the house like an aeroplane. So um, that was a nice little moment for his little lad, I think. And um, yeah, I think we'll get on to Leahy later, but he's been excellent in this last four games, um, really leading as the leader on the pitch. And um, he can do it all. He assists, he scores. He's um, Yeah, he's, he's absolutely in fine class at the moment. Um, and then again, say after that sort of 58 minutes through to the end of the game, again, Shrewsbury controlled it. I don't think Burton had a huge amount of chances. Um, we sort of at the time, they looked pretty beaten after the third went in. They looked dead on their feet. Um and like Dan says, I think that's why they're going down. They just, you know, they lack the quality to get back into games and they snatch your chances. So it was a little bit, um, a little bit of a boring pitch battle again um, until right at the end of the game, we put the little cherry on the cake with um, in the 94th minute. Bayliss has got a corner uh, over on the uh, shoot, well, on the on the burn right. He knocks in an inswinger, uh, and there's Che Dunkley at the back post to uh, to nod it in. Very easy, very very standard sort of centre half goal. Um, the, the, the interesting thing to note was we only got the corner because Dunkley pulled off a very cheeky Cruyff turn in their box to, to, to sort of bamboozle the defender and knock it out. So it's nice to see even they've got the confidence at the end of the game to um, to, to, to pull out some skills. And it's nice to see us going right through the end of the game, playing to the last minute and um, and really, you know, sort of late goals is a little bit of a, a theme coming up as well. So it, there's, some, there's some good themes developing amongst the uh, amongst the games we're going to cover. And yeah, that late goal was, was one of them. So I don't know, Chris, what you think about... Uh, 
Dunkley there getting that goal. Well, I was just going to say, Shea Dunkley, I think that was, was that his third or his fourth of the season. Every single one of them has come after the 90th minute. So the guy really is a, a, light, a late goal specialist for us at the minute. So I don't think we care when he scores. I suppose they all count the same. But it's, as you said, we've had a few of those lately. And that's certainly become something he specialised in for Shrewsbury this season. And mm. he did it again. That one, I thought you, you had exactly the right phrase there. Cherry on the cake, really. Because not sure it was a 4-0 game. It was, But we'll take it for sure. And it was it, it's what we needed at that moment in time. Yeah. Let's think... be clear. If, if, if we talk about Big Dunk later in the programme, then, then later in the podcast, then it's obviously Shea Dunkley we're referring to. He is... Big dunks. Yeah. Okay, I don't know who that other dude is who they sometimes call that, but for me, Shea Dunkley is the man. He's he, he's a he's a leader out there, and 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 you know I'm happier when when I see him play. Yeah, and I think he's been he's been excellent as the end. It's nice to see him get the goals. His defensive play it, it doesn't go without plaudits, but um, the defenders only really get the big headlines when they score the goals. So I think he deserves it. And like you say, with him and Pennington and Flanagan attacking corners, we are a threat from set pieces now. I think you know teams have got to take this seriously. Um. But yeah, I think other than that, it felt to me like we controlled the game in the, in the large part and, and it felt like a solid routine performance. But looking back at the stats, we only had 31% possession, which I know would have been given my brother Kittens because he liked he liked us to, to, to dominate the, the ball. But um, yeah, 31 seems low. But when you look at the tactic Cotter's playing now, the tactic for me seems to be be solid, you know, happy to see possession because we're not going to give away chances, try and hit him on the break with pace. And, and and take our chances when they come. You know, we had 11 shots on the day, seven of them were on target. And uh, Ollie, I know that I'm sort of stealing a stat from you here. You were on Twitter talking to a guy called Box to Box, An- Box, to Box Analytics. Um, and they tweeted that we are the, the most efficient team in the league when it comes to big chances. We convert 60% of our big chances and that's better than anybody else in the division. So I would say tactically, that's how Cottrell sets us up. And it, it seems to be paying dividends. It seems to be working. I don't know what you think, Ollie. Yeah, we're incredibly clinical, aren't we? Which is good because you don't create a lot of chances. Um, but I think also there's something about our team that we 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 take shots in good positions now. Yeah, you don't see many, you know, crazy shots from long distance. Um, Shippy does the odd one, but he doesn't do very many. Um, I think we're quite a controlled side. So when we do take shots now, they're normally in quite a good position. And I think that must be contributing to that as well. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what you think of that, Dan. Yeah, I think we take them early. As well, Ollie, Jermaine Defoe once gave an interview where he, he said the key to scoring goals is shooting early because that split second advantage will, will get you, um, you know, it'll get to the keeper a little bit quicker than he realises. And I think we do that. I think people do see the ball, hit the ball. And um, Sadie's second goal was a good example. He, he could have waited a split second longer, but he didn't. He just, he just thumped it. And um, I, I think we're doing that quite well. Whether we know we're doing that quite well, I'm not sure, but I don't really care. And uh, yeah, you talked about uh, the possession stats there, Mike. I'd, I'd have to say that I think we've got a bit of an identity now, to be honest, in that we are a side that is better when the opposition's got the ball. We're happy to let them have the ball in their own half, we press them hard, win that ball and hit them on the counter-attack. And that's when we're at our best. And we're going to be talking over the course of this evening, over these four games, in three of them, the opposition's actually had more of the ball of us and we've won those games. And then the one game where we've dominated the ball, which will be the Forest Green one we came to come to, was probably the worst performance of the four. We really struggled in that game. And, well, we all know we won that with two incredibly late goals. A little bit lucky, really. We didn't play, it didn't look that good, despite the fact we had a lot of the ball. And I think after that game, there was an interview with Flanagan where I heard him say that, you know, we're a side that's got an identity now. And he was talking about the never die spirit, I think, and the never give upness of our side, which we've seen. But I think you could also apply that to the style of play as well and that we are happy to be a, a, 
a, a fast, aggressive, counter-attacking team that presses the opposition in the middle of the park, and that's working for us. Yeah, I think, you know, possession isn't everything, is it, clearly? Mm. Um, and you can get a little bit carried away with stats, but you can't argue with the result. 4-0, away from home, um, on the back of a bad run, and it was just a, a very good performance all round. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that about covers Burton, really, and I think it sets us up nicely to discuss the next games with the themes running through it. So, um, I think the next game up is you, Chris, isn't it, with uh, with Cambridge, where your lab was a mascot. So, um, we'll let you take us through that one and, and let us know how your day went. Ah, oh, cheers. Yeah, Mike, it was an absolutely fantastic day. So anybody listening to this, you've got young kids and you haven't yet done it, I'd highly recommend it. The Shrewsbury Town were fantastic to us on the day. We were really anxious in the morning. I don't know if people can remember back to the 21st of January. It was freezing cold. Uh, loads of games were being called off. I think most of the League Two programme went and getting on for half of the League One programme. So we're just sitting there with our fingers crossed, hoping that the game's going to be on. And finally, Shrewsbury put that tweet out saying, you know, that it was never in doubt or never in danger or something. And big sigh of relief in my household because the lad at this point was already fully dressed and in his kit and ready to go. So, yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, Mike, you wanted to come in. Uh, yeah, I just think a huge shout out's got to go over this period to the ground staff. I haven't put it on the agenda, but it's just occurred to me. The amount of games that we kept to have on, you know, being a town fan that was a fan of the Meadow, the amount of games we used to get called off was it was comical at times. But I I played golf that morning that you had this game and it, the ground was so hard. It was rock solid. You know, it was, it was concrete greens. And the fact, and we were convinced there wasn't going to be a game on. So I just think, you know, big, 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 uh, big credit to the ground staff who've been getting these games on. I think somebody asked Steve Cottrell about it and he didn't really want to give them any credit. Sort of a, you know, you don't, you don't applaud a postman for delivering your letters. It's sort of they're doing their job thing. But um, you know, it makes it makes sure we still got football to watch on a Saturday. So I say, you know, big thanks to the ground staff, really. Yeah, absolutely. And they certainly made my lad's day that day by just making sure that the game went ahead. So absolutely fantastic. We got down there. We're given a tour of the ground. And then they take that there were um, there were six mascots that day. Actually, there were three regular mascots. And then they'd invited three children from Sevendale School in Shrewsbury as well. So these kids were all taken off into the changing room to meet the players. Apparently in the past, the parents used to go in with them as well. But since after, when COVID hit, they stopped mascots altogether. And then they've restarted it this season. But Steve Cotterell, for understandable reasons, doesn't want too many people in there. So the kids are taken into the changing room on their own. And the parents sort of just have to wait outside and wait for them. So I'd given Thomas my phone. I told him the code because he wanted to get pictures with the players and everything. And he trots off to get his pictures. And him telling me about it later, basically Tom Flanagan took him under his wing. And he was like my son's personal photographer for about 15 minutes minutes and I've literally got a picture of Thomas with every single kit a player either one-on-one -on -one or sometimes it's two players and Thomas but we got a whole series of pictures and then he got one with Flanagan as well where Lee, Luke Lee he took the camera and took the picture so they were really good lads you know we're talking an, an hour and a half out from a, you know a match so it's a big you know they, they're presumably starting to get focused but they've got time for the kids and they just I, they really showed me there what really good people they are as well as well you know we talk about their quality as footballers but their quality as human beings as well I think this squad I've heard the talk that the phrase used a lot recently they're quite special our squad at the minute and I really saw it that day because to a man they were all brilliant with Thomas and the other mascots as well they were fantastic so yeah he had a great time with that uh, go, came out of the changing room it's time obviously for the match eventually he was paired up with Morosi for that he loved that because my lad's not a bad little keeper actually he plays in goal quite a lot for his under eight team and he was trying to get some tips off Marco Morosi and he and he ran out for that and then obviously the, the icing on the cake was the result in the end so he now thinks of himself as a lucky mascot I asked him to give the day a mark out of 10 he told me it was a million trillion out of 10 so can he, he was do a happy it every lad. match Chris is, it, is this possible 
Uh, well, you know, if I was willing to pay for him to be a mascot every match, Dan, then yeah, absolutely. But, uh, you know, and, it, and it's pretty good value, but I'm still not going to pay for it every match. But yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Understood. Give it a couple of years and he might have another cracker. He did say to me, can he be a mascot next season? And I said, let's wait a couple of years because you'll still only be nine, uh, nine years old and be a few different players by then. So you can meet some other people you haven't met already. So, but yeah, he had a great time. And uh, Mike mentioned the ground staff just before I move on. One other person I did want to give a, a, a thank you to who was uh, the mascot coordinator on the day. The club's mascot coordinator is a lady called Trish Wright. She's a volunteer, so she does this for nothing, just just through her love of Shrewsbury Town. And she's absolutely fantastic. She looked after Thomas and those kids brilliantly, and she does it every single home game for all the mascots. So Trish Wright's one of those unsung heroes, and I really wanted to use this opportunity to thank her. So anyway, that's enough mascot. Oh, sorry, Ollie. Yeah, well, I was going to say, we were talking about how many players' contracts go up in the summer, and there's quite a few. So I might send this to Thomas. Um, because there's a good argument that he should be a mascot next year because potentially nurses contracts goes um Burgoynes, Pennington's and um, Bennett's and Leahy's, Bowman's, Pikes, O'Do's and Caton's contracts are going in the summer. There's quite a few of those have extensions. So there's a really good argument there for Thomas to um to yeah to be mascot next season again. <laughs> But you named some players there that if they leave, I'm going to have tears at the end of the season. <laughs> I can't have Pennington, Leahy and Udo all leaving for a start. That's, that's We need a whip round, fellas. We need a whip round and quick to get, to get this happening. <laughs> so, yeah, that's amazing. So I've been a mascot and it was a good memory. It sounds like it's gone up another level. I remember being getting changed in like a weight room or something at the game meadow. Um, but, yeah, it sounds like an amazing experience. And, yeah, that sounds, sounds like a very special day for Thomas and a special day even more because of the result. Yeah, the result was brilliant. So we'll come on to the game. So uh, team news, I mean, I'm not going to go through the team because it was exactly the same team that faced Burton Albion. And that's going to be a theme for these four games. Uh, we'd found a winning formula and for the time being, the manager stuck to it. So no real surprise there. I suppose that meant another game on the sidelines for Tom Bayliss. But the manager had spoke has since spoken about him potentially needing a bit of a timeout. And uh, with Killian Phillips coming into the side, he had the opportunity to do that. So, yeah, no surprises there. No surprises on the bench either. I suppose the one thing I did note was that with Aidan O'Brien, it, it had come out by then that he, the club were potentially looking to move him on. I can say he was there and he was very much involved around the place at the start of the game. Uh, I've got a picture of Thomas and O'Brien on the side of the pitch and he was really good with him, to be honest. So he's certainly not a footballer who's sulking. He, he, he came across to me as a bloke who's stuck. And I've noticed him on Twitter congratulating the team's results over recent days. So I don't know the, the ins and outs of what, the, what on earth happened there, but I certainly didn't see a player who's causing any problems or dis obvious problems or disruption, but not involved in the match day squad for this one anyway. The best so we got mascot in the league, he is, I tell you. <laughs> Aidan O'Brien. Well, yeah, maybe we can have him running out with the with the players. He can be holding Luke Leahy's hand before kickoff. Give him something to do. But uh, yeah, it was, so we, we move on to the game itself. And given what the result of this game finished, it wasn't a thrilling start, was it? You know, it was it was it was a combative first half an hour without a lot really happening, and it was getting a little bit frustrating, to be honest. And you're just thinking, oh, for goodness' sake, this is a little bit a little bit classic Shrewsbury uh, as we were as as we felt about the side that they're not always the most entertaining. And then on 33 minutes, uh, we have um, a, suddenly the opportunity to take the score sheet from a penalty. And it all came from a foul by Paul Digby, bring, bringing down Matthew Pennington when we were trying to apply some pressure. Referee had no doubts about it, pointed straight to that penalty spot. And the moment that happened, 
Lutley, he is so reliable from that penalty spot. That even before he's taken it, you're thinking, well, that's one nil. So, and uh, sure enough, he buries it, doesn't he? And that's our sixth, his sixth, or no, that was his seventh of the season at the time. And uh, it was his sixth penalty from those seven. So he's been a machine from the penalty spot. Dan, I don't know what you think about Lutley, he, but he's been scoring for fun, hasn't he? When you put him 12 yards out. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was a bit critical of Leahy in the autumn, but he, he's bounced back. I mean, he's been phenomenal over the last few weeks. And, and there's, there's, you know, there's, there's no plaudits you can find that are high enough, given, um, given what he's, he's contributed. I was going to ask you about the penalty, though, Chris. Did you think it was a penalty when you saw it? Now, you were in the stadium. I wasn't. I didn't get to this game. Um, but when I saw it back, I thought, oh, you don't always get them. Is, is that right or not? So this is an interesting one, and I might defer to the other two in a minute. For a, when you when you are doing the mascot package, you don't get to sit where you normally sit, as it were. So I'm normally in block 17 in row P, nice of and high up, nice view the across then, the pitch. Yeah, yeah. I'm in block six in row D. Not a fan of sitting low, to be honest. And it's the one thing I loved the whole day with the mascot package. The one thing I didn't like was the view from my seat. And I couldn't honestly, at the time, my instant, initially, I thought it was for handball, if I'm honest. And it's only since I've watched it back on telly that I've realized what even happened. At the time, I had no idea. So uh, having said it on telly, I mean, it looked like a foul to me, but there'll be Ollie and Mike, I think we're in the stadium and might have an, another view to me. So Ollie, what was your take on it? Yeah, I think it was really good referee. You know, we I, I get the sense that maybe we've had some good referees in the last few weeks because you know we had some shockers over Christmas. I thought the referees we've had in the last few games have been pretty good and they've got most things spot on. I think yeah, you're right, Dan. I think it's one of those penalties that sometimes doesn't get given, but it was a foul. The player took out Pennington, and for me, it was clearly a penalty at the time. I remember casting my eye across towards because the ball went across, and I thought. But then I remember seeing at the corner of my eye, he got completely taken out. And I watched it back a couple of times. And yeah, for me, it's a penalty. Um, and I think that's fair play for a League One referee to give that. And would you agree with that, Mike? Did you think it was a penalty in real time? Yeah, I, I think a bit like Chris in real time. I couldn't really see what it was for. But on the replay, you can see it, he gets there first. He just gets taken out. So it is a clear penalty. But I thought on the day, the ref was good that day. He's one of the ones. You don't need to remember him if they were terrible. But I thought we had a good ref that day. So um, it wasn't a surprise he got that one right. Um and yeah, it wasn't like we could have even had advantage because the ball didn't really go anywhere useful. So yeah, pretty clear cut, I think. So that's one nil anyway. And then from there on, really, it was it always felt like Shrewsbury were in control, and we actually dominated the rest of that first half to the extent that I thought we deserved to be two up. And I was a, a bit disappointed it was only one as half time was approaching. And then fifth minute of first half stoppage time, up pops Jordan Shipley with one of the goals of the season, an absolutely tremendous strike, bends it into the top corner goalkeeper's got no chance it was a fantastic goal wasn't it it was an absolutely brilliant strike Jordan Shipley's got that in his locker I, th I saw him do it in pre-season I'm trying to remember who that was against might have been Cardiff I'm not sure but he scored a pretty great goal in pre-season in one of the fixtures in one of the friendlies and then he, he, he scored a few this season since we've started but that was the pick of them so far absolutely stunning goal and at 2-0 I never felt the game was in doubt and uh we moved into the second half and from and we were just in complete control. It took, uh, what, another 12 minutes for us to get the third. That was Matthew Pennington again, an absolutely storming header from a Luke Leahy corner. Uh, Pennington scored a few headers off corners and set pieces this season. Now, this one's the most convincing of the lot. I mean, he came through like an absolute train and powered that ball and nobody was stopping that. Absolutely. I think if the keeper had got behind it, it would have taken him into the net as well. There was some real power on that header. So I loved that from Matthew Pennington. And, and from that point, you thought, you know, how many are we going to get? There was that nervy moment, uh, I think 69 minutes, that Cambridge got a goal back. Joe Ironside, they brought him on as a substitute. 
I was reading that he's been out of form and hadn't scored a goal in something like 15 or 16 games, but then he, he ended that drought against us, which was ironic. There had been a few whispers on social media that we might be interested in Joe Ironside. So I was looking at that thinking that, you know, he looks all right, actually. I wouldn't mind him as a potential partner for Sadie. So we'll see. I suppose we'll come to transfers later. Still a couple He made of a difference now. when he came on on Boxing Day, Chris, as well. Joe Ironside, yeah, the Boxing yeah. Day game. Uh, you were there, weren't you, Dan? So yeah, I, yeah. I watched it, but I don't remember, to be honest, Ironside's contribution. But yeah, he, I mean, he looks a big, powerful unit. And it, it was a good header. You know, it was it was, it was a well-taken goal. And at that point, 3-1, you still feel relatively comfortable. But, you know, it, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the natural pessimist. I'm thinking, oh, God, if they get another one, it's going to be twitchy. So even at 3-0 up, I wasn't sure. And then 3-1. But just as you're starting to worry, less than two minutes later, Christian Sadie, we talked with another goal. We talked about his two against Burton. So he made it three in two games, picks the ball up on the left hand side of the penalty area, starts cutting across the box, takes two defenders out, rounds the keeper and then turns and fires in really well. A nice, neat finish and a really good goal. Really enjoyed that from Christian Sadie. And I thought it was a sign of the confidence that he's, he's got again and that he's built up over the last few weeks and at 4-1 at that point you know the game's gone and I've got you know a little a lucky mascot sat next to me going absolutely nuts having the time of his life and it, it was everything I wanted from the afternoon at that point I had my daughter with me as well incidentally she wanted to come to support her brother but sadly despite the golf fest she's got no desire to uh, come back and watch more I think it was a bit cold for her a little bit I could have done with the fixture maybe being in August but because blooming heck, it was cold, wasn't it? But at four-one up, we were in control. It was Sorry, freezing. My, might, now, yeah, no, yeah. my little lad was um, really cold. It, it made me laugh actually. Every time he turned around to me, he said, "Dad, I'm freezing." And he, he absolutely loves coming to the town, by the way. But he was so cold, he kept saying, "Dad, can we go home?" And every time he said it, we scored a goal. And then he was interested again for another fifteen minutes. So I think the town were just keeping scoring goals to keep the kids in the ground. To be honest with you, but um, yeah, going back to that Sadie goal, that was even though we scored some good goals that day, that was my favourite because. The way he sort of jinked in and he put the keeper down on his ass and, and slid it out, I just thought it was a really lovely goal. And it, it, it happened in so many different pieces that it just got you up off your seat more and more. And yeah, it was um, yeah, brilliant finish. I've enjoyed Sadie this month. But we hadn't finished, had we? And uh, classic Shrewsbury, of course, we got to 90 minutes, but we now know Shrewsbury don't finish on 90 minutes, apparently. And sure enough, 91st minute, there's Luke Lee here with his second of the afternoon. And nice to see him score from open play because for all the goals he's got, you know, they, they are penalties. And it was, it was nice to see him score an open play goal. Really well taken. Great finish. What an afternoon for him. Two goals, two assists. I mean, that, he was a clear man of the match on the day. An absolutely terrific display from Luke Leahy, who is, you have to remind yourself sometimes, we signed this guy as a left wing back. And earlier this season, we had uh, Joey Barton, after we played Bristol Rovers, ranting about us and saying he's clearly a left back. And what the hell are they doing playing him in midfield? Well, right now, he's one of the best midfielders in League One. So I think that... That's a, a masterstroke from Steve Cottrell, maybe forced upon him at times because initially because of injury. But, you know, he's stuck with it and he's been justified in that decision, hasn't he? Dan, what do you think? I know you're a fan of Luke Leahy. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting because at the start of the season, Cottrell made the point, as he's made the point in the past, actually, that he has a number of players for each position. He likes versatile players. But the problem he's got is his replacement for George Nurse at left back is running his midfield. And um, Luke Lee is the, is the second of the two left backs, but of course he's never going to play in there now um, because of what he's doing in the centre of the park. And and that, to be fair, is, is, is a nice thing to be able to say. It makes you know Jordan Shipley probably doesn't want to be 
playing left back really. But even then, I think he's quietly ticking along and he's quietly been very impressive. So I think I think Leahy in the middle actually has, 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 has really prompted one or two changes around the rest of the team. And, and I think he would have gone to left back. That would have moved Shipley somewhere else. But he's just been playing so well and so consistently that that change is, is definitely not on the books anytime soon. Ollie, what do you think of that? Yeah, I totally agree. Leahy, um, I saw some um, analysts, I can't remember who it was now, um, did a, like a, some stats of basically effective of the central midfielders. And Leahy Lee, was in the top five for last season. First season playing the central midfield, says what a great player he is. And I think also just testament as well. And I think credit goes to Shipley because you know, there's some questions about Shipley's defence ability and a few things like that. One of the strengths of this team is the ability to coach players and to, for them to improve. Look at Taylor Moore. He looks so much more comfortable at right wing back. We saw the development of Danu Doe. We've seen the development of Leahy. We've seen the development of Shipley at left wing back. This team gets great coaching. Matthew Pennington as well. And I think it's a real testament to the manager um, that they, they improve players, which I think is, is is so key for a team like Shrewsbury. And would you agree with that, Chris? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you can't question that Steve Cottrell has got the absolute most out of the resources at his disposal. He's largely recruited well. He's brought in good players and most of them have been a success for him. There's very few signings where you've gone, what the hell did we buy him for? Or he's not worked out well, like we'd have expected. So you can't question that. He's done very well on that sense. He's been, he's been a, a big success in terms of his, of his recruitment and the way he's developed some of our young players. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing Udo and Nurse back season and hope next season and hoping they're firing again because there's two more that have really improved under our manager so yeah, yeah. lots to be positive I think even Aidan O'Brien comes into that category Chris now he's clearly been an unmitigated disaster but does anyone here question the logic of buying him not really ah. You know, and it doesn't mean that every player is going to be fantastic when they arrive. So even the ones that haven't worked, I can see why we why we went there. And I was going to say about about Sadie that the, the goal that he scored there, the fourth goal of the day, was I thought was a really um, uplifting goal because he he spent a lot of time playing professional football and not scoring goals. Right, he played eighteen games at Burton, scored none, as Mike said earlier, and he's only been relatively slow in getting into the the groove of scoring goals with us. But now it looks like it's a habit. He picks the ball up. He looked where he wanted to go. He used his strength and he finished it perfectly. And, and that's that's a sign of a player who's making who's making progress. And part of that's got obviously down to him. He, he, he's he's doing the right things. But you think the backroom team have got a bit of a role to play there as well. So you know, respect you. Um, you know, players seem to be coming along nicely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think it was a bit of a revenge mission for us this one as well. I I don't know if you, any of you remember, but Cottrell talking about this game in the builder, he was absolutely fuming about the defeat on Boxing Day. He really really felt that we should have got more from that game. And uh, he, you could sense that he really wanted this one. He really wanted to beat them and he really wanted to take the points uh, this time. And we certainly did. You, you got the feeling that he'd got the players fired up for it. And we seem to like playing Cambridge at home. We thrashed them 4-1 last season with a Ryan Bowman hat-trick. So they've certainly turned into a bit of a lucky opponent for us. Mike? It's, it, yeah, it's funny you say about having, having them fired up. Because this match was uh, the, the site of one of the maddest things I've seen in the game of football. So... Probably about halfway through the second half, I think it was Rob Street, a man who's out there to to chase down defenders and try and score goals. He went in for a bit of a 50-50 tackle on the halfway line, down by the touchline, um, won the pat, won the tackle, ball went out of play, and he stood up like he'd scored a screamer from the edge of the box. And he celebrated in front of the West Stand, and it was odd because it was a bit of a nothing tackle in the middle of the park, and it just shows how keyed up for the game they were, how fired up Cox was got them, and and the sort of the fight and the fire in this team at the moment. I, I could not believe. 
that a striker was celebrating like that. But yeah, it just made me laugh. Um, and yeah, it was it was a really nice moment. I don't know. Did you see that all as well? Yeah. Yeah, it was a really good moment. And for me, the Cambridge game stuck with me. We should never ever have lost that game. Cambridge are atrocious, and we've we've seen quite a few relegation threatened sides in the last few weeks. And for me, Cambridge are the worst. Um, I think some of the stats are unbelievable. They had seventy two percent possession against us, and they looked at, and even in that, their passing accuracy was much better than us. But a lot of their passes were going nowhere. They had ten shots, we had eighteen, but we absolutely annihilated them. We it was a complete domination, and we got our revenge. Agree with that, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. I was actually going to come on to the stats. Yeah, you've got obviously slightly different ones to me. I Sky said sixty-eight percent, but I'm sure you know it, they had they certainly had more of the ball, and that that surprised me. It didn't feel like that watching it, and it was a testament to the conversation we had earlier about our style of play. And just because the opposition's got the ball doesn't mean they're doing anything with it. And we've certainly looked the most threatening in that game. Uh, so we used our thirty odd percent really well. And as you said, with the shot statistics, we we massively had more chances on goal. And that's what matters in football, isn't it? It's creating and taking chances. So you, they can have all the ball they want. They, they did nothing with it. It was a comfortable win for Shrewsbury Town. Mike? Yeah. Going back to what Ollie said there, it's, it's quite comforting to see how doomed some of these bottom teams look against us. You know, usually we come up against bottom teams and we don't look like we can handle them. And we're usually in that scrap over the last sort of four or five years that you know under various managers it's nice to see us like competently play other teams and and look at them for a change and think god they look terrible you know and you you're sort of fairly confident there's enough worse teams than you in the league not to get relegated so it's um it's again it's another testament to Cottrell that he's built a team that are looking up the table we're all looking up the table now apart from that blip over Christmas um I think we're getting we are getting a bit giddy and positive on this podcast but with good reason I think yeah and talking about teams, Mike, that are below us and not as good as us, I think we've probably done enough on Cambridge now. So let's move on. Let's move on to another team that's uh, possibly struggling at the minute and we, one we might not have expected, but MK Dons. And I'm going to leave Dan to lead on this one because I, I think you were there on the night, weren't you, Dan, at, uh, at Stadium MK to watch us in action again? Yeah, I was. Um, there was, I think it was about 260 of us who made the trek down there. Um, you know, Tuesday nights away are always, always challenges when you're going out in the Midlands. But of course, for me and a number of the South East Shoes, this is one of the one of the go-to games. Really, it's not too difficult to get to MK from um, you know from where I live. So I was looking for the one thing I, I was a bit disappointed about was the game was a Tuesday night because, as I'm sure you all know, there are three grounds in English professional football within walking distance of an IKEA. Okay, MK Dons, Warsaw, Bristol City. Um, and so that's often politically really useful because I can go on a Saturday, you know, uh, the other half can 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 cause carnage with a credit card and get a nice afternoon at the football. Um, and MK Dan, Dons is right the next worst, to the IKEA. That's the worst stat of the pod. We're not, we're not having that sort of In thing. the history of the podcast. Stat. That's, yeah. quite <laughs> that is. That, that's Dan, the type of stat that gets you to games. Yeah. Do you get some meatballs, mate? It's all about the meatballs when you go to oh, IKEA. Yeah. Oh, totally. Mate. I go, go to meatball, meatballs first and wander over to Stadium MK. But on a Tuesday night, that falls apart. Yeah, so, so no no IKEA before the game. Um, but because it's close, I got away with it. The, the thing with the MK Dons game is, I mean, this is the, the positivity podcast, right, to use a phrase that we we were using off, off air earlier. But not a lot happened in this game. You know, we weren't very good. Um, and there are reasons for that. But we're, we're not saying we've suddenly become Brazil. But we weren't very good. And yet, you always felt there was going to be an opportunity for us to win the game. I mean, I was there with with, with, with Benny Harvey, who, who, who you, a few of you know, um, and he was overjoyed. Now, he's not very 
he's not normally very overjoyed at many things at all, but we kept a clean sheet in a difficult game. And Benny was a, a goalkeeper back in the day. And, and keeping a clean sheet away at a game where we haven't got much of the ball on a pretty ropey pitch. But I was going to ask you guys, what did the pitch look like on iFollow? Terrible. Yeah. Like, okay. They look like, did they have a rugby team play there as well? It looked dreadful. Yeah. And you can see the bubbles and the, the mud showing through. Yeah, it was rough. It yeah. looked like a throwback to the pitches what I used to watch Shrewsbury on in the early nineties, you know, before ground technology seemed to come on a long way. It was it was it was it looked a shocker, which you don't expect from a big posh stadium like that. You expect them to have a bit of a carpet, but no, they have apparently they have a quagmire. Well, you talk, you talk about ground technology, and you guys may know more about this than me. But when it's all cutting up, when it's clearly very you know very boggy, do you have to put the sprinklers on or before the game? And at half time and all over the pitch. I mean, is there a logic to that? Because I tell you what, we couldn't see it. The pitch was getting worse and worse, and they just kept putting water on it, Mike. Maybe overwatering it and letting it cut up stops the good teams playing football. When you're down there fighting, you want to make it a scrap, don't you? You want to make it a mud bath and 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 stop any passing football that comes at you. The problem is Shrewsbury Town don't pass the ball. We knock it long into channels and we we attack with pace on the break. So um, it might have gone against them, but I think, you know, if they were playing Barcelona, it might have been a bit more of a leveller, maybe. You never know. I'm not sure that's deliberate, though, because even though MK Dons are having a bad season, I don't think you could call, to call them a team that tried to make a game a battle. They still try to play football. That's their yeah. identity. And that, that was yeah. they've replaced Liam Manning with this new guy that is it Jack? What's he called? Mark Jackson. And I think they've yeah. brought, listening to what I've heard from him, he's come in with that idea as well, that they want to be a front foot attacking positive team. They want to play a pretty on the eye football and score goals. Yeah. And you, you almost wonder, looking at that pitch, if it's the wrong way to go, because that pitch doesn't suit that football. I don't yeah. know how... I'm a amazed they've managed to produce it in the way they did last season if that's what their pitch is always like yeah I mean I, I like the comparison of Barcelona and Shrewsbury Town Mike I've not not often those two teams have been mentioned the same. I'm, I'm all over that but Ollie yeah I was going to say that they attempted nearly 600 passes in this game which is a lot the pitch doesn't really link up with the style of football they're playing and it, and it looked like a, a pitch that was sapping the players looked tired as the game was going on and then maybe that contributed to the goal down. Well, yeah, I think I think there's there's a number of points that are really prescient with that. Um, first up, um, a lot a number of our players did look tired. I mean, it was it was pretty much the same the same side. Phillips was was chosen ahead of Bayliss, although of course Bayliss came on and made a made a made a big impact at the end. Um, but Sadie looked absolutely shattered. I mean, I, I was singing his praises about the goal he scored, and I will continue to sing his praises. But it, it was a heavy pitch. And he was, he, he was running around after a team that wanted to pass the ball. And he understandably went off after an hour. He just looked massively off the pace. And it, it's just simply because he, he was probably tired, I think. And, and I get it. Um, so what, what MK Dons were trying to do was pass, pass, pass. And given the pitch, that was always going to be a challenge. Now, they had more of the chances, but clear-cut chances? Not many, folks. A couple of big scrambles. But, I mean, were there any complete sitters? Not really, Chris. That well, I mean, one of the, when we do stats again, they had one shot on target all night. That's what MK Dons had for all of their attacking pressure that they put on us. And uh, I heard their manager after the game really disappointed, felt we deserve to win this. What a kick in the teeth it was and all of that. They created one real goal scoring chance. And that was Moisa in the first half with a shot that Morosi saved well, pushing it away from goal. But yep. other than that, there was absolutely nothing. They passed the ball around prettily all day long, but the shots they did have were a mile high or a mile wide. And I don't think Morosi had a lot to do. Well, I don't. I know he didn't have a lot to do. He had an easy evening, really. So despite yeah. all their pressure, 
couldn't create chances against us. And that's that's something you can say about us. A lot of teams find that. And it's not luck, is it? Time and time again, te- teams come up against us and it's like we've been lucky or something. But, you know, you make your own luck and we, we are set up in a way that makes it difficult for teams to score against us. And MK Dons weren't good enough to find a way through us. Well, in the first 15, Moisa looked very, very lively. And I did fear for, for Jordan Shipley, actually, because, of course, he's not a left back. He's, he's a left winger who has to defend occasionally. And I thought, I thought Issa looked really good. And I thought this, this could be a long, a, a long road. But there were a lot so of... Lecker on the right-hand side, Dan. I thought going to say, the two of them looked, looked, looked really useful performers. But this reminded me a bit of Burton. Burton, in the first half, looked like they had something going forward, but they looked like mistakes at the back were going to kill them. And that's exactly what happened to MK Dons in the end. Ollie? Yeah, I was just saying, Leco was, for me, reminds me a little bit of Derek Asamoa. Run around a lot, get into decent positions and couldn't cross for... He looked like he was trying to do conversions. Like they were, If it was a smaller stadium, they were almost threatening going out. His crossing was atrocious. So all this yeah, possession and all this kind of stuff from an MK Dons point of view, their quality in the final third was, was lacking. But I think... He'll go much further in the game than Derek Asamoah. He's got a bit. Yeah, he possibly will. Yeah, he might not disappear to France as well. But um, yeah. yeah, it's um, yeah. But I just it, for me that's a good summary. I think of how MK Dons performed. They had lots of possession, but in the final third they were really poor. And you know we are we know what that's like, and that can put you yeah. in a relegation fight. Well, and absolutely. And and if you look at the goal, the goal tells you all you need to know about the game, right? MK Dons are passing, passing, passing. You've got a big thirty-yard ball across the back on a rubbish pitch, you know, in the end, there's going to be a bobble, there's going to be something that that, that that betrays you. And that happened because Moore managed to rob the guy who was past two on the left-hand side of the MK Don's defence. He immediately strode forward. Every one of those 267 Shrewsbury Town fans, I'm, going to, I'm not going to say they thought we were going to score, but that was it. That was the moment. And we knew from about the 15th minute, there was probably going to be one maybe two moments. And every team has one. Right? No one ever goes through a game where they don't get anywhere near the opposition box. And we just had to take it. And everybody knew that was the moment. Uh, and it was a good run from Bayliss, who, who had come on and made an impact, actually. He, he'd done very well when he came on. Um, and he didn't really smash it in. You know, he hit it nice and cleanly. I'm still not totally convinced what the keeper was doing, if I'm brutally honest. I mean, you know, I spoke to you know, spoke to Benny Harvey, a former keeper, and he says one of those ones where it's so close to you. Sometimes you can't you can't move your limbs in the right direction. So, okay, maybe, but I, th- I think he could have done a bit better, if I'm brutally honest. But at that moment in time, I didn't give a monkey's. You know, it was a, a fantastic way to win a game against a club that I'll be brutally honest, I'm not a massive fan of. Um, and only five thousand people in that stadium, right? And the stadium's what. 25, 30,000. You know, you feel like you're rattling around, but the, the 267 town fans all went bonkers um, and, and it felt like there was 20,000 20, town fans in the ground. So it was, it was a great way to win an eminently forgettable game of football. Chris? So two things there. Actually, you said you're not a massive fan of MK Dons. Just made me smile. I tweeted something after that game about if there's one team I want to see Shrewsbury get a totally undeserved win against with an 89th minute winner, it's MK Dons. I had over 100 likes for that tweet, which, you know, for my engagement on Twitter, as it were, is fairly high. I think so I was one of suggest- them. Yeah, you probably were. And I would suggest that you and I are probably not the only ones who don't like MK Dons based on that. So very sweet indeed. But I also wanted to pick up, you you, know, you talked us through the goal there and you talked about Bayless. I'd like to talk about Taylor Moore a little bit more as well. I thought his interception there was brilliant. I thought his run was great, his strength, you know, this 90th minute of the game and it's a hard, you know, he's been playing it right wing back. It's a tough position. 
we talked about Taylor Moore on this pod. It was either last pod or the one before. And there was this conversation about, is Taylor Moore a right wing back? And I think we all agreed he's not. And uh, we were possibly a little bit critical of either the decision to play him there or his performances. But do you know what? He has proved me wrong and he's proved a lot of people wrong. I think Taylor Moore has been terrific the last few weeks. And I'll, 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 right now, if he's out of contract in the summer, I don't know if he is, but if Taylor Moore is available in a free in June and Steve Cottrell announces we'd sign Taylor Moore, I'd be delighted. I think he's been terrific. And I think it's I'll very interesting. Him. He's keeping yeah. Elliot Bennett out of the team. And Elliot Bennett is a very, very good winger. Now, Bennett may well come back in in due course and Taylor Moore may go elsewhere. But one, he can go elsewhere. He can play in the centre. He can play centre-half. He can play in the centre of the park. And I tell you what, I didn't think that in September. And, and he has come on leaps and bounds. And Bennett is a serious player in our team. We need him in that side. Except if Taylor Moore's around when we don't need him quite so much. And that, I can't pay him too much more of a compliment than that. Ollie, sorry. Yeah, I, Taylor Moore's defensive ability has been fantastic. His work rate is fantastic. When we've got a lot of possession... A bit, um, I think we struggle a little bit when he's there um, because he will often cut back, but he keeps possession. He's a real steady Eddie in that position, um, and I think he, he's been good. He's, he, does, he does put the odd good ball in sometimes, but I think too many times he does cut back, but that's because he's playing our position. When he went to centre-back, was it against Cambridge at home? Um, he went, went to centre-back and he was fantastic. He looked absolutely amazing. So, yeah, I'm a big Taylor Moore fan. I think he's a really good player. Just not quite happy with his second output, but he's, he's he's done a fantastic job there. Well, I'd call myself a convert because I really was going to take some some persuading, but I, I you know, that's why I'd rather I'm, see uh, Bennett's play there, but I'm not upset anymore. I was upset yeah. before that he was playing there, not upset anymore at all. Yep. And that's why I'm a football fan, not a football manager, Chris. I was just going to say as well, Ollie said about not so good in that position when we've got possession. But the only thing I'd counter that with was uh, the Forest Green game, which we'll come to in a bit on Saturday, where we did have possession. We didn't play particularly well. Of the players who were in our starting lineup for that game, to me, Taylor Moore's the one who came out with the most credit. I thought he did pretty well on Saturday both at wing-back and then, you know, we actually slotted into centre-back at that one as well when we had the big tactical reshuffle towards the end of that game and he ended up playing the left of the back three and he did fight, he did well there as well. I just think he, it's a rich vein of form for him anyway. A lot, you know, long may it continue, but I really hope it does. But over these games, he's been one of our key players and I, I've, I've been delighted to see that. And he is one of those, you imagine, there's a, there's, a, there's a possibility he could be here longer term, even though he's a lone player at the minute. So it's been good to watch how he's developed. Absolutely. Mike? I would just say that he looks fitter as well, probably. I think a lot of our team are looking leaner, are looking stronger. I think their fitness is improving over the course of the season. I'm not really sure what the setup is behind the scenes, but we look like one of the fittest teams, probably while we're scoring late goals, because we're going right to the end. You know, we could compete on that bog of a pitch. You know, MK Don seemed to run out of steam on. Um, and I just think, he, you know, as the season goes on, that he's looking like he's a... He's, he's, you know, he's grown more as a footballer physically as well as as technically. So I think there's a lot of that to it as well. Um, so the, the backroom staff, again, lots of plaudits. I think they're doing their jobs properly. Um, so, yeah, it's good stuff. He looks yeah, really agile, doesn't he? Agree. He looks a bit lighter, lighter on his feet and he looks more agile. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's a, he, he's, he's done a great job. Uh, fair play well, Cotter's been very consistent in saying his football teams are fit. And to be honest, I mean, we've all criticised him over the uh, over the past X number of months because that's what fans do from time to time. But I don't think we've really felt we've been lacking in fitness and it's really coming to the fore now. You keep it on going, keep it on going. And, and, and we do that. I must admit, when I was driving home from MK Dons, I did think, enjoy this one because something's going to go wrong on Saturday. We don't win four out of four, particularly against bottom teams. Um, so I, I, I was thinking, yeah, that this, this could be the, the highlight of this two-week stretch of games. And um, I was wrong. Ollie, what happened against Forest Green? 
Just one question. Did you said they oh, do yeah. think this was a smash and grab? I thought this was a smash and grab, but you didn't agree with that. Well, I wasn't sure, and I, and I don't want to get too dull, um, as, as I'm pretty good at getting dull when I want to, but it's about terminology, really, because we, we were never going to play 600 passes against MK Dons. Cottrell never set us up to do that. He never expects us to do that. He expects them to have the ball, and they did have the ball. They did very little with it. Um, we were just going to have to wait for that chance to come. Now, it came late, but the whole strategy was that we will sit back and break because that's our strength. Now, is that a smash and grab? For me, a smash and grab is when the bus has been parked they battered you. They've hit the bar of the post. Keeper saved five fantastic goal-bound shots and you've run up the other end and scored and won one nil. That was absolutely not what happened against MK Dons. Um, they had a lot of the ball, but we've just said about possession. I think that's a bit of a misnomer that, yeah. that having all this possession is necessarily a good thing. So I'm just not, not sure that it quite fits. I think if a bus is involved, it's a smash and grab. Can, can, can we start from those premises? If, if you park <laughs> the bus and then you break at the other end, then, then we're in that territory. And I, no, I, don't I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. It was a more even game than the, the passing statistics um, imply. I understand what you're saying. I think it was a smash and grab. I think we did yeah. nothing for that. I, I, I think we scored a goal and then we went in with three points. It's yeah, I, 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 my I'm in the same part. Of but then we had one shot on target. Yeah, but, but I think in terms of the whole context of the whole game, we didn't create many chances. They didn't create many chances either. But because we didn't create, that's why for me it was a smash, so smash and grab. grab is basically when you win a game and the other team have a lot of the ball. No, no, smash and grab is when, when you win a game and you don't have many chances. As simple as that, I'd say. Yeah, you do nothing, yeah. score one, yeah. going with the points. That's smash must and admit, grab. Doing nothing and winning yeah. away from home is good. Yeah, it's great. I, like I love a smash and grab. It's probably the best result. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Really sticks it because the, the home fans hate it as well, don't they? Yeah. But they weren't in there, to be so fair, I actually, know. I watched I watched this one. I won't go on too long. I watched this on um, iFollow and I had the MK Don's commentary on for reasons. And um, their commentators were so, they were massive homers and they were nearly crying at the end of the match. They were, oh, it's a sucker punch. It's a real punch in the guts. They were, honestly, they were bleeding yeah. so bad. It was funny. Yeah, Chris, do you want to have a final word on the smash and grab stuff before we move on to Forest Green? <laughs> Feel free uh, to say no. <laughs> Dan, I don't think I'm going to help you much. It felt like a smash and grab watching it to me. I'm sorry. I watched that on television. It's a really interesting analogy, but sometimes you do get a def, you do get a different sense of what a being at a game to watching a game to being watching it on TV. You do get a very different sense of the game, and that probably played a part of it as well. Um, but talking of TV, that saved my face there, Ollie. I appreciate that. Yeah. Talking of TV, did you know that Sky Sports had a camera just for Duncan Ferguson on Saturday? I'm not surprised, but I did not know it. And I was, I was pissed off with the Duncan Ferguson nonsense before this game. He was an average Premier League footballer. He played for an average team, and he was an average player. He wasn't a special player at all. And here we go, he gets a job at Forest Green and all of a sudden the world's media descended on the Medid on Saturday. We had the Daily Mail there, um, we had the Sun there with all these different um, newspapers there. But do you not agree, Mike, that he was an average player for an average Can team? I make, come quickly, just to, if, you, if you're if you going to tell him that, just make sure I'm not in the room, all right? Because I don't want to oh, see yeah. what his reaction would be. That links a little bit to what I, said, what I was going to say because on Saturday I borrowed my parents' parking pass to go up there, got into the car park, somebody parked in my space. So I parked in the space next to it, ran off to the steward, and I was like, what goes on now? Um, and so he, he walked with me over to my car to see what was happening. And he said, I know whose car that is. That's Duncan Ferguson's car. We told him to park somewhere else, and he's parked in your space. So I wasn't going to tell him to get out of my space. As you say, Dan, I was going to leave him to it. So um, it was nice to beat him because he made me you know, have to move my car. But um, 
Yeah, the whole loving with Duncan Ferguson, it reminded me a bit today with the BBC's loving with Wrexham, which I also had a huge issue with. Um, that whole, when anybody who's in any sort of stature in the game comes to a, 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 a quote-unquote smaller club, and that's all they focus on. It's um, Yeah, it gets on my nerves a bit. So, um, yeah, I'm glad we sent him with his tail between his legs. It was good. Yeah, I really, really wanted to win this game. Did you, were you similar, similar position, Chris? I, so I was as a kid an Everton fan, I'll be honest. I was an eight-year-old boy, I, Everton was my team. And I actually was a latecomer to Loving Shrewsbury Town. It came when I was 14. So, and I've always seen Everton still as my second team. I, can't, I do like Everton and I do like Duncan Ferguson. And he was a, he's a character. I wouldn't call him an average Premier League footballer, but I, I put that with my second pair of slightly blinkered Everton spectacles on. And to me, he's a, I want to see Duncan Ferguson be successful. And I would be delighted for him to do well at Forest Green. But I wanted that to start. After Saturday, I was I was all up for ruining his debut, and I was I knew there'd be all this fuss about the game. Uh, I don't mind that to an extent. It puts a bit of a spotlight on us by by sort of extension. And if we can get the result, which obviously we're going to talk about the fact that we obviously did, it's just all the sweeter, isn't it? It just made it fun and. Uh, He's a character to watch on the sidelines. He was up and down. And the idea that they had a camera just trained on him, it's crazy. But you can you can see where Sky are coming from. I could put up with it once. If that's going to go on week in, week out, then I'll, I'll soon tire of it as well. If that if it's going to be the Duncan Ferguson show for the next two months, in the especially when they're rock bottom, they're four points adrift at the moment. If he can start getting some wins and he's, and he's producing results, then I'm sure the interest will stay. But if they're rock bottom and they're still doing that, it'll get a bit ridiculous. The other thing I feel sorry for Forest Green. Whenever you get a high-profile manager at a small club, they're no longer called Forest Green, are they? They're Duncan Ferguson's Forest Green in the same way that it's Joey Barton's Bristol Rovers. Frank Lampard's so, Derby was the one that got me. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so I, as that, that would actually wind me up if I was a Forest Green fan, much as I'd be enjoying at the moment at least having a high-profile manager. Yeah, the club comes first, as it were. So. Yeah. It really, annoys, it really annoyed me. I did actually check in with the, the club media team to ask if they had anything prepared. Um, and as we saw after the game, they did. They have posted a few things out about um, Big Dunk. So obviously, as you said, Dan, there was only one Big Dunk, Big Shea Dunkley. Um, and also, we there was a, a tweet as well about Jan scoring in Fergie time. And which I, I enjoyed was, that uh, one, that which was, was a really nice, a really nice little link to. So yeah, so it looked like actually that um, you know the Daily Mail and all the news reporters had come to Shrewsbury and we're going to get their headlines and get that article they wanted to write about how Duncan Ferguson can be the saviour of Forest Green. And yeah, they scored a really nice goal out of nowhere, an absolute thunderbolt of a shot. And it was a frustrating game. It was a very, very frustrating game. One of the things I'd say about Steve Cottrell, he is a master tactician. He is the best manager I think we've ever had um, in my time of managing in terms of his ability to change games, tactical setups, change the game at halftime or during the game as well. And I always feel really confident that he's going to do stuff. So at half time, I was thinking, is he going to bring on um, another attacking midfielder, and we're going to go to you know one striker, and because we couldn't get the ball forward, but we couldn't get in the ball to threaten them, and we were really really struggling um, with our build up play. There was a lot of passes along the back line because, in fairness, the defence didn't have any options, and it was a really really frustrating game to watch. Um, and we brought on um, Bowman. Um, what was it like 60, 70 minutes? Bowman came on, but it was a light flight change, and eighty minutes comes on, and we make four changes which is unheard of from a Steve Cottrell point of view and we just he just basically I think he just I don't know I'm absolutely fascinated to have heard the conversations between Dave Longwell Aaron Wilbraham and the manager because they must have been talking about different options Mike they must have been they, but they were for ages the subs were ready to go 
for maybe, might have even been 10 minutes before they got on. They were chatting, they were looking at pieces of paper. And when they were bringing the four on, there's a few people saying a bit of a desperate roll of the dice, four subs at the same time. It, it's always a little bit of a desperate throw, but thinking back to it and the amount of prep they put into preparing the subs and the amount of conversations that went on. So when they came on, Lee, he went over to the sideline, came back with a piece of paper. He was talking to the centre-half. Bennett came across and he was having a chat with all the guys on this side of the pitch. There was there was some serious tactical rejigging being done um, to reset us for that last 10 minutes to really push for the goal. Um and yeah, I, th- I think, like you say, I think Cottrell comes out like all the credit. At the time, I was thinking, oh, he's just sort of chucking some bodies on and seeing what happens. But yeah, thinking back, I think it really was uh, you know, a tactical switch and the right people at the right time. Um, I think, you know, I think he made the changes late because he wanted Forrest Green to run out of energy. He knew um, Duncan Ferguson would get him keyed up and want him competing. But, you know, if they're bottom of the league, they've not got that 90 minutes in them. So, um, right, good timing, good people, good tactics. Yeah, I think it's a good one. Yeah, and it was it was it was really good. It's just worth noting actually that um, Forest Green have signed ten players, so they signed eight before um, Duncan Ferguson took took charge. Then they've got a, a loan from Everton. Then they signed um, Robbie Savage's son on loan from Man United. So that team is completely transformed from the team that we we saw um, at some, when we went to the to the lawn earlier in the season. So a completely different team. They other than they look pretty good to be honest, compared to obviously seeing a lot of relegation sides recently. They look really good, really compact, really well organised. And they made it life really difficult for us, um, but they they, did, they they we brought on the secret weapon against Forest Green, and that secret weapon is Pike, because it was a really poor corner headed on the away from the first post. Comes to him, he takes a delightful touch, and he smashes it into the back of the net, Dan. And for you to see Pike score, vindicated again um, in terms Thanks of performance, clever, you know it. Brilliant strike there, wasn't it? It was an absolutely brilliant strike. And it threw, flew through a crowd of players and the keeper had no chance. The, the, both of those strikes, I think, for me, were, were about the composure that, that, that the strikers showed. It would have been easy to lash at those, wouldn't it? Particularly the pike one, actually. But they didn't. They, they, they really took that split second. There's me saying earlier in the pod, you should shoot early. And I think you should. But there are times when, of course, you need to make sure you get it right, spot on. And, and they, were, they were two really impressed strikes given the context of the game and um, I was really pleased with Pike obviously I don't know him from Adam personally but I can imagine he's you know he's, he's gone a long time now without scoring many goals so to score a key goal like that it's got to make him feel feel good it's got to be a good thing and that run he did down the left flank as well was fantastic and when he's a player in confidence he just looks so different so yeah that was fantastic and then it was one of those ends of games wasn't it so we scored in extra time and we scored on um, 94 minutes um, it was really funny that Douglas Ferguson was complaining about the extra time. Well, the time wasting that Forest Green were doing in the second half was really poor. Would you agree, Mike? Yeah, it came back to bite him a bit. I was I was going to butt in then just to say, does anybody know anybody that didn't see either of the goals? Because uh, Andy Davis is sitting next to me uh, with about about eight nine minutes. Said, I've had enough of this. We're not going to do nothing today. Stomped off, and we got a text off him halfway down Otley Road with an expletive in it, and then another one when he was a bit further down Otley Road with with more expletives. So yeah. Um, we did see a few people leave early, and I don't know why you would ever leave a game early, no. especially um, at the moment. It comes to the 98th minute, and it, in terms of if you weren't at the game, it was one of those times where we scored an extra time. There was We knew there was a lot of extra time, but it was one of those goals where no one sat down. So we sit in an area where everyone sits. Everyone was still standing. They had an attack. Morosi got the ball, and he got booed by the whole stadium. Leahy was screaming his head off, throwing his arms. But to be fair to him, Steve Cottrell was telling him, calm down, calm down. He took his time. And I don't know if it was that goal kick or it was another something afterwards. 
But um, there was basically a bit of play. Pennington didn't clear the ball very well. Pike comes in, wins the ball. Brilliant tackle. Brilliant tackle. Again, as you said, energy, legs, winter tackle. Phillips gets the ball, runs forward and does this delightful outside of the boot, little through ball to Bowman, who I thought actually was Pike in real time. I thought it was Pike because he was so fast. Bowman was off from the races, full of beans, put the ball in the back and uh, put the ball in the back of the net on his left foot. And it was one of those goals where he shot, but because of the angle was across the goal, it took a while for people to, for the people to see the ball hit the back of the net. So there was this little kind of lull. And then all of a sudden everyone was going mental. And when I have those kind of moments, I just grab people. So I was grabbing Phil and everyone was just going absolutely mental. And it was a, an absolutely fantastic moment, wasn't it, Chris? Amazing goal and amazing way to finish a game. Yeah, it was brilliant. I was watching it back today on the club's tweet and the crowd, as you said, they, we'd stayed on their feet. The, it was it was like a goal celebration before in the build-up to the move. The crowd was still hyper from the equaliser. So there's just this crescendo of noise that grows even more as the ball hits the net. But you were saying about that moment of not realising it's in. The person who definitely did know straight away, I think, was Ryan Bowman because you watch him and he barely breaks stride as he goes from shot to celebration and he was off. You know, It was quite a calm celebration. He just trots off almost Alan Shearer, arm in the air and it was the, the rest of them were nutters piling in on top of him as it were but Bowman for a man who's just scored a 98th minute winner in a game where we were losing just four minutes previously you know, I was I was expecting him to be a bit even crazier to be honest but he just didn't break stride you could just see the moment that left his boot he knew where that ball was going and it was uh it was a glorious moment it's and it seems it's funny how fo- these things happen in football it's only three weeks ago we got knocked out of the FA Cup in a game against Sunderland where we were winning at 90 minutes and we lost that match in extra time two goals in extra time three weeks later in the in the league we do it ourselves to forest green so it, you know these things going round up go it's like they just come around don't they it's just amazing i don't think i've ever seen a game turn like that and then i've seen two of them one against us and one for us in the space of you know less than a month it's crazy really you know it's funny you mentioned the sunderland game because i couldn't help but no it's yesterday they they played very well against fulham in the fa cup Sunderland are a good team they got some good players and we actually did all right against Sunderland. And people forget oh, this. Yeah. You, know, you remember the doom and gloom at the end. And, and I totally get why we all do that. But um, but I, I think Sunderland are, are a serious team. They're not the team that we played last year in League One, that's for sure. Um, I was going to ask a question, Ollie, about... You mentioned Mike Cottrell telling Morosi to calm down. And I've heard that from a, from a couple of other folks, actually. Now, was he telling him to calm down so we could somehow get set? Or was he thinking, just don't go crazy here. Let's make sure we don't lose. Well, what, what, what was your it take? It was to get set. It was to get set. Definitely. And I think it comes back to this game plan Mike was talking about. You know, we wanted, we were, we were playing, we were playing Pike left wing back. We we're playing Box, Boxham right wing back. So we've got a lot of width. He wanted all five players in the front. So it was almost like, you know, in, you know, the old um, inverted W formation. We had five men up front and he wanted them to get there in time. And, and to be fair, you know, Morosi's kicking his paw, but he did the right thing there. You know, sometimes it's funny, isn't it? You know, the, the professional knows what they're, what they're doing. I think the crowd, Ollie, at that moment was worked up because it was weird the way they get the yeah. pitch had split. They had a defender deep towards the left-hand side, which meant that uh, Christian Sadie was halfway into the opposition half in the middle of the pitch, was onside and comfortably onside. So if Morosi had played it early and straight and found Sadie, he'd have been through on goal because they, they were all trying to chase back to get in position. And by, because he paused, yes, it allowed us to get set, but it also allowed uh, Forrest Green to get set as well and prepared to defend. And it felt at the time watching it live, obviously with hindsight, it's great. But watching it live, it felt like that was a moment and it was an opportunity. And 
I mean, I'll admit, I was screaming. I wasn't booing him, but I was screaming at him to, to release it because I was thinking, Sadie's there. Just find Sadie, and that's a goal-scoring opportunity. But, you know, obviously, yeah, Cottrell knows better than me. If that, and if his instruction was to calm down, well, it, it certainly paid off, didn't it? But it, it did feel like there was a moment there. And if he had played it early and Sadie goes away and scores, we're all hailing Morosi for a brilliant piece of, uh, you know, inspirational uh, football and playing, you know, playing off the hoof, as it were. But it wasn't to be. But... Who cares? Because uh, Ryan Bowman two minutes later scored anyway. Yeah, I, I've in some ways now I'd wish I'd if I'd thought about it now, gone back and look what my heart rate was from my from my watch, because it was high from the from the first goal, and then the second the second goal was just an absolutely magical moment. And it's the it's the kind of moment that hooks you to football, and it hooks you to going to to going to see Shrewsbury Town and, and teams because you never know what is going to happen, and these kind of late winners. I always really, really stick with you in the memory. Yeah, it's one of those games, isn't it, Ollie? You know, over the years, you have games you look back on and a lot of games blur in your memory or you forget them, but there's certain games that stand out. And this is going to be one of those games that I'm sure in 10 years' time, those of us who are there will remember and talk about this game. And, you know, my son, who's in his second season of watching Shrewsbury Town, he's got, to, there'll be two or three games from this period he remembers, and this will be one of them because that, that celebration was like something else. You know, you talked about hugging people. People. You hugged me and Thomas as well. We kind of had a little group. We were bouncing up and down just like everyone else was. And it was it was an utterly unbelievable celebration. And yeah, it'll live long in the memory. So it was special. I'll tell you what other game he's going to remember, Chris. The last minute winner against Sheffield Wednesday at Wembley when we beat him in the playoff final. He's going to love that. <laughs> <laughs> Which is I tweet, funny. Yeah, Derby County, I think I tweeted for that one, Dan. But oh, yeah, did you, Sheffield, I'll take Sheffield Wednesday. I don't mind who we beat in the playoff final. Yeah, why not? Which is a nice link to the league table. I'm just covering that off. So, yeah, we're ninth now in League One. Um, we've got 41 points. Um, Barnsley, who have got a few games in hand, um, I've got two points ahead of us. There's a bit of a chasing pack, which we're in. So there's us, Wickham and Peterborough, all chasing down Barnsley. There's a bit of a gap between Barnsley and Bolton and then Derby, Ipswich, Sheffield, Wednesday and Argyle. But, yeah, to be where we are is absolutely fantastic. And um, I believe, you know, our budget is around 17th, somewhere like that, 17th, 18th in terms of the budget for the division. So to be ninth um, is testament to the, the manager on the work that the team are doing. So we are we're definitely overperforming our budget at the moment. I'll just be Billy boring a tiny bit, Ollie, and point out that while we are two points off the playoffs, Barnsley do have three games in hand on yeah, us. Yeah, So Wickham and you know, Wick, uh, Peterborough have games in hand on us. Wickham have games in hand on us. So oh, we're in a lovely position. Any of this sort of stuff. I, I'm not more <laughs> interested. Yeah. I did say, uh, yeah, this is my Billy boring moment, and I'm <laughs> loving it. And don't get me wrong, but I'm just, I still feel I'm just trying. I suppose I'm trying to manage my expectations. I'm trying to manage my boys' expectations, but you know, a, a playoff charge still feels like an outside bet to me i'm still thinking but you know last time we did this pod i think i would have said we we're going to finish somewhere between 14th and 16th whereas the excitable kid in me now is starting to think oh top half is actually possible yeah. and i'm thinking oh i'll take 12th to 9th now you know if we can beat oxford and beat port vale then maybe then i'll start getting even more excited but for now we've beaten the four of the bottom five which is great but there are tougher challenges to come. And we and if we're going to be serious about making the playoffs, we've probably got to average two points a game for the rest of the season. And we and can everyone remember that April fixture list where which is basically a fixture list from hell where we play all the big division's biggest teams back to back week after week. So that, that fixture list is right, I don't know what's got into me this evening, but you're dead right. Look at the names of the sides there. But if you really want to make a late surge, then there's gonna be a whole load of sides there who are gonna be nervous. 
who are going to be in a similarish position, whether it's for the top two or to get into the top six. It may well be they're not the worst sides to be playing. I, get, I or, may well be just taking too or, many drugs. Yeah, either they've anyway. been promoted already or yeah. actually they're in and the playoffs anyway it. and they're resting players, which we did, didn't we, in that one season? Mike. nerves, Ollie. Big, you know, sides run into situations where every game is just too big, whether it's against Shrewsbury Town, Forest Green Rovers or whoever. Um, sorry, Mike. But I'd say, I'd say, Rob, before we get too carried away with talk of playoffs, and you look at the next four games we've got, um, three of them away, but they're all against teams who are still underneath in the, in the league. So we've got Oxford away, who are 14th at the moment. Then we've got Vale at home, who are 13th. Then you're at Exeter away, who are 10th. And uh, Accrington away, who are 21st. So, again, the next four games, I mean, we're not terrible away from home. So there's points on the board and we can keep this going um, if we can. Chris, you, so, I was just, you were saying... There. Am I getting no. too optimistic? No, I was agreeing. It just made me smile. You said about playing teams who are below us. The nice thing is, actually, most teams are below us now. We're not used to this as Shrewsbury Town fans, but we're ninth. So most games we play at the minute, statistically, are going to be against sides below us in the table. That's not something we're used to. But yeah, yeah long, and they're, long they're below. Yeah, they're below, but they're close as well. So that's sort of our chasing pack, three of those. You know, if we could get some points out of Oxford Vale and, and Exeter, then it, it separates us more. And that's, that's points that can push us up as well. So... Um, the next four games are going to be fascinating. I think it's a real opportunity to kick on. We said that the weekend fixtures, we didn't do it. So, yeah, sorry. The, the weekend's fixtures are quite interesting because obviously we're, we're going to Oxford. That's by no means a foregone conclusion. But, you know, they're not the best side in the league either. But all of the other three sides above us are away, right? And, and they're not all, they've got some interesting games. I mean, Forest Green Rovers not the worst side we've seen, right? Peterborough go there at the weekend. Barnsley are at Portsmouth, just got a new manager who seems to have had a bit of a bounce. And, Take a draw there. Yeah. Um, and Wickham are, I think Wickham are at Port Vale. I should have looked this up before I started out on it. But somewhere else, I think, well, Vale Park's not the easiest place in the world to go to. It's not implausible, let's get it out there, that we could be in the playoff zone on Saturday. I'm going to go and sit in a dark room and just sort of like that <laughs> now. I can't believe I've gone down this route. But, but I just yeah. think that there is a narrative here that sees us continuing to do well. I, mean, yeah, I think this next four games can make or break the season. After that, we start hitting the teams above us and then the teams in the playoffs. So, these four games could, you know, make or break. So it'll be like, you know, we'll, if we come back together in another four games time and see where we're at, we'll um, we'll see how we got on. We might be trying to call for Steve Cottrell's head again. You never know. We get all above ourselves, you know. <laughs> um, and yeah, to kind of close off this kind of section of the podcast, um, as he, as Chris will know more the better than any of us, a journalist will go to a game and start writing and type as the game is going on. And the, most of the journalists who don't follow Shrewsbury would have gone to that game with the sole intention of writing something about Duncan Ferguson. Shrewsbury Town's score, a winner in the 98th minute, probably meant that quite a few of them had to stay behind to rewrite their articles because I'm sure they were completely rewritten, Chris, because of that. Yeah, so that's called an on-the-whistle report, and I've had to do it as a journalist, and it is an absolute bloody nightmare because you're having to write this report ready to file with sometimes within three or four minutes of the final whistle. So, yeah, you're writing it, and I've sat there before with match reports written in the days when I used to do this, and they're there, and you've, you know it's 2-1 or whatever, and you're just thinking, oh, I don't need any more goals. I'll write it based on this, and then something happens, and you're going, oh, bloody hell, and then you've got to re rewrite the whole thing. And, yeah, that would have definitely been a nightmare for some of those journalists on Saturday who would have been rewriting their copy. Well, I'll tell you one guy that didn't rewrite his copy was the guy at the Daily Mail. I'm not a Daily Mail subscriber or reader, but my father-in-law showed it me today because we had a half-page article in there, and our goals were mentioned in the last two paragraphs, and it was... And then Reckill Pipe scored, and then Ryan Bowman scored. And that was it. The rest of the copy was about all about Duncan Ferguson, all about Forest Green. So there's one lazy journalist there anyway, Chris. 
Yeah, well, so, I mean, that will be a report that was already written. And, he, yeah, he's probably under so much pressure. He's bunged in a couple of lines about our goal. And his sub-ed and his paper's only interested in Duncan anyway, as you say. So, yeah, sadly, they've not given us much credit in that. He's not as bad as the, uh, the social media person for The Sun. I don't know if some of you saw The Sun's tweet. The actual report was OK, but they put out this tweet saying about Shrewsbury scoring two late goals to knock Forest Green out of the FA Cup. So, congratulations, lads. We're in the fifth round. Who knew? So, yeah. Yeah, that rounds up um, four games, four wins, multiple goals, clean sheets, loads of different goal scorers. Um, yeah, an absolutely fantastic um, set of four games. Um, so, yeah, so now we're going to do top threes quickly um, and then, yeah, just have a little touch on the transfer window. So on to the top threes for the period. Um, I'll start off. My top three for the period were um, Luke Leahy, who goals, assists, Captain Marvel, call him what you want. He's been absolutely excellent. Um, my second one was Christian Sadie, who um, it's nice to see a striker scoring goals for the town and his work rate as well opens opportunities for others. So I think he's been brilliant. And then my third one was um, Killian Phillips, who an, a recent arrival has dropped into the team like he's been in the squad all season. He's full of energy, he's strong, he's big, he's technical. Um, and I think he's been a brilliant sign and I think he'll he'll really drive us on in the second half of the, the season as well. So that was my top three. I think, um, Chris, we'll throw over to you. What, what was your top three for this period? Just to say on Killian Phillips as well, one of my favourite things about him is the passion he's showing as a lone lad. His, you watch the video of the celebration of our winner against Forest Green. He's going more nuts than any of them, which I thought was fantastic to see from a lone player. Uh, but yeah, my top three. I agree with you on Luke Lee. He fantastic uh, month. I, I feel he was my pick as well. We've talked about him earlier in the pod about just how well he's playing at the minute. In second place, I've got Taylor Moore. We talked about him as well earlier in the pod. I think Taylor Moore's been fantastic this month and I really think deserves a bit of recognition. For my third place pick, I could have picked a number, to be honest. There were so many good, strong performances. I've gone for Matthew Pennington. I think he's been terrific in defence, scored a great goal against Cambridge that we talked about, but he's also been a rock-solid contributor to the fact that our defence rarely looks threatened in this period so yeah to me he deserves his place in there as well so that's mine uh dan how did you find it i found it all a bit of a nightmare chris actually i mean winning four games out of four there's so many good performances it's really i found it really hard i mean my instinct was that that um taylor moore has done very well and he's been under the radar quite a bit with it so every time i've seen him he's, he looks like he's improving so i went for him and and given i was at the mk don's game and given that he read the game really well to make that interception for the goal that that probably tipped it Secondly, Leahy, I mean, you know, no point saying anything else. He, you know, I agree with what you guys said. He's had a phenomenal uh, month or so and he's he's really looking impressive. Number three, I went for Dunkley and I can't I can't completely explain it other than I, I think he is that a leadership figure that I, I always like to see. No matter whether he's captain or not, no one you don't care about that. He's just one of those guys up to and he's the man making the blocks. He's the man who's telling people what to do. He's the man who I think others look to alongside, you know, two or three others. But you, Dunkley's always there. And I think he's been been pretty solid. And of course, you know, he did have a Cruyff turn in the middle of it, which I always like to see from a centre-half, as long as it's in their box, not ours. So I went more, Leahy, Dunkley. And I went for Dunkley third as well. I think he's had a fantastic few games. Um, I can't remember the games now, but he, he was one game. He did this amazing block. I think we just scored. And it was a really, really incisive block. Yeah, I love the Cruyff turn and also like his presence on social media as well. He's a player that does social media really well. Um, he's a, yeah, He seems like a really, really good player um, and a good player to have in the squad. 
Um, I went for Phillips second. He's had a fantastic um, start of his loan period. Yeah, that almost two-footed tackle he did on Forest Green when he came off the bench. Um, and then his celebration for the goal was, yeah, he really puts himself about. And I think he's a player really to keep an eye on as well. It would be great to see how he gets on in his career. And yeah, Leahy first. It was an obvious choice. He's had an absolutely fantastic. He scored um, so many goals, assists. Um, he's been absolutely brilliant. So yeah, fantastic four set of games for, for Leahy. Um, so yeah, now we'll, we'll just quickly turn on to the transfer window. So yeah, Steve Cottrell did a very interesting post-match interview at Forest Green. He was asked about the transfer window and he basically said that he's got no money at all. I, I believe um, there was a little bit maybe conspiracy theory going on Twitter that the club didn't share that out. I believe and um, that is the reason they did that is because they wanted to give the exclusive to Shropshire Star. So yeah, that's a, a, not a conspiracy theory there to kind of share that one out. And then in terms of um, where we are in the transfer window, the transfer window lies on one man. So we've talked about Aidan O'Brien in this podcast already. You know, he's a good player. He's played well at this level. He's you know, played for Pompey and Sunderland. You know, he's clearly a, a talented football player. We don't know the reason why he got substituted at half time, um, came off and he hasn't been in the squad since. I spoke to a recruiter in the division um, who works for a football club in League One. You know, whether he'd be interested in, <laughs> in Aidan O'Brien, does a bit of a joke. And he said, injury concerns and big wages. So when he thinks he thinks he's on big wages, and you know, and you know what we know football's like, everyone taught finding Aidan O'Brien at another club. Feels like we're in the same situation as Sam Cosgrove again, where we're desperate to move him on. Maybe AFC Wimbledon come to our rescue again. Um, but Mike, yeah, what's your thoughts on this situation? I think he's probably, if not our highest earner, probably in our top three or four. He's got to be on big money. I think um, it's unlikely that somebody's going to take him on for the reasons you've said. He's barely played. He's injury prone. Um, but my question is, if we don't shift him, he's going to, is he going to start playing? Presumably he's nearly fit, you know, because he's been around the squad. Chris was saying he seemed engaged when he was there for the for his lad being the um, the mascot. Are we going to start seeing him play? Because I, I can't tell you, he can't have just down tools because he doesn't like Shropshire and he wants to live in London. Surely if he's got the rest of the season left, he's got to start playing and doing something for the club that are paying him. So I think that's a big, a big problem for Cottrell to solve. If we don't shift him, you got to get something out of him because he's a waste of wages either way, you know. Yeah, I, I, that's a great question, Mike. Because uh, to me, I, I, I was thinking something similar in terms of if he doesn't move by Tuesday, if he's still a Shrewsbury Town player come Wednesday morning, then he's got a choice to make, really, hasn't he? It's, it's kind of where's his attitude and... I don't know the guy, but like, yeah, as you said, I saw him at that Cambridge game and he looked to me like a guy who was very much a part of things. And I was interested to see him tweeting after the Forest Green game, praising uh, Bowman and Pike for winning that match for Shrewsbury. He was very much, uh, he, he was very much behaving still like an engaged Shrewsbury Town player. So if he's still here and if he's fit, then I think it all comes down to what's the relationship between him and the manager. Because uh, we don't know what happened in the dressing room in that Portsmouth game. Uh, we're all imagining there was some kind of big bust up. And if there was, then he's probably going to spend half a season, you know, kicking kicking his feet around, not doing anything. If we're wrong about that and he was actually not fit or something or, or there's been a, dis a falling out, but it's amicable now. Who knows? He could yet come back and play a part because, you know, if he's costing us big money and he's and he clearly is a talented footballer his career says that for this level he's a good footballer why would we not use him if we can so who knows who knows yeah th these things can change but my my instinct is still that something may happen before tuesday and i still wouldn't be surprised if adrian o'brien gets that yeah i think that's a fair call chris i mean it, it did occur to me that um fit, fitness will improve 
right? And it didn't sound to me, and again, I, what the hell do I know? I'm just an outsider looking in, that this was about his fitness improving then and being back involved. That didn't feel like the background to that substitution after 45 minutes. But we don't know that. We're all guessing, aren't we? Um, I also, I mean, I, I was chatting to, 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 to one of the guys I play football with who, who, who follows Gillingham. And, of course, Gillingham have come into a bit of wedge and they're, and they're slowly beginning, to, I mean, they've scored a few goals, for, you know, which is which they haven't been doing. Um, but he was he was asking about Aidan O'Brien because he, he'd picked up that he wasn't playing. Now, this guy's not, not of any great significance, but it's a club like Gillingham is what we're talking about, right? Because they come into money, they've got, they're desperate for goals, um, they're in the bottom two in the football league, um, and someone like Aidan O'Brien would have to be on the radar. Now the question is, and Chris has got this: what, what sort of deal are we willing to cut? And I've got no idea, and I'd be completely out of my depth in guessing it. But I suspect that it's about cutting a deal, and shoes we may have to pay a bit to, to you know, to, to make that happen. And I, I'd be very interested to see what happens between now and Tuesday. I don't think this story's run its course yet, for whatever reason. Yeah, I think the the, the, the transfer window, and is it on Tuesday? Um, it's going to be an interesting day. I think maybe as a podcast, we'll we'll chat on WhatsApp and decide what we're going to do, if do anything. For me, it's either going to be one end of the extreme or the other. It's either going to be absolutely nothing. No one at BP garages, no chocolate bars being purchased. It's just going to be dead. Or it's going to be, um, I don't know, Aidan O'Brien goes to Gillingham. God knows how much money he's on. And that funds three players or a couple of loan signs is going to go mental. Like with Shrewsbury Town, it's always the same, isn't it? It's either transfer window, nothing happens at all, or we sign like Tyrese Campbell and it's really exciting. Um, so God knows which end it's going to be. Just one thing there, Ollie. You said about a couple of loan signings. One complication with our window is we've already got six. So I can't, unless we signed Acosta, which is something Acosta's, we haven't touched yeah, on. It's been, that has but been rumoured, hasn't it? Whether we might get him on a contract. But even if he was either on a contract or sent back to Coventry, that still leaves us with five lone players. So if the manager was signing anyone, my, my instinct is it would be a permanent of some kind. I, I could be proved and totally to find wrong a permanent on that, but... in January. Um, it's well, we've, be we've difficult. yeah, but you, you look at Cottrell, he's, he's he's pulled a few rabbits out of the hats on the last day of transfer windows, hasn't he? So you know, in uh, this time last year, it was Tom Flanagan who arrived at like 10 59 pm or something, and and that's obviously become a key part of our side. And then in in August, on the last day of the deadline window, yes, it was alone actually, but it was Carl Winchester, another big player who's gone on to be a big part of our side. So the manager's record of producing not just a, a random 18-year-old from Fulham or something on transfer deadline day, he tends to he signed players who to, to bring them in and make an impact. And, and so far, he's, he's done that. Well, that could happen, isn't it? We could sign Winchester on a deal, we signed DeCosta on a deal. All of a sudden, we haven't got the full quota of loan deals. Maybe we could get someone, but yeah, it'd be yeah. I would I would still like a a, a bit of a pacey striker. Um, I think would be would be great if we're going to have this playoff surge. We could, I think we need to get someone else in the door. Um, but yeah, transfer window is going to be interesting. Um, I'm not sure if any guys have anything else to say on the transfer window, but yes, yeah, I think it's going to have to. We have no idea what's going to happen. Um, it'd be interesting to see what what um, what comes on Tuesday. But any any final thoughts on this? I, I suppose if nobody comes in through the door and it's it's a quiet transfer window. I don't know how many of our long-term injuries are close to featuring it all this season. The Erudos and your George Nurses. You know, I don't like to pluralise singulars, but there you go. Um, yeah, I don't know whether they're they're close to getting back in the squad or anything to bolster numbers because, like you say, we're, we're relatively thin, but but um, there's a lot of variation in there. So I don't know what the update on their injuries are if there are any. Really, haven't heard anything about those players for a while. Maybe it's something you need to ask the the guys in the in the media. But have you heard anything? You seen anything, Chris? 
I haven't seen anything, but you know the injury we're talking about. I certainly don't think they're they're going to be back any time now. That's a long term injury. I think the the best case scenario is one of them is technically fit. You know, Udo had it first, so he's probably got the best chance of being back first. But even if he's training in April, you're talking about a guy who's then had six, seven months out, eight months out. He's not going to walk back into our first team, and it probably wouldn't be a good idea for him to do that because no. there's the risk of something else happening to him. I'd rather we took our time and brought them back in August. I saw George Nurse at that Cambridge game because he was there as well and we got a picture with him and he's off crutches and all of that you know to look at him you wouldn't know anything's wrong now he's walking around looking like a normal bloke but there's 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 a difference between walking and not having braces and crutches and playing professional football and the impression that I've, I've never heard of somebody coming back from a cruciate ligament injury in four or five months like that, that's got to be that i'd be stunned if we see either of them play this i season. was i was reading this article um, a couple of months ago about how acl injuries have there's been quite a lot of transformation in how they're being done so players wear a brace um, and they actually fasten the muscle together rather than taking the muscle from somewhere else. So I've no idea which course they've gone down. But um, yeah, I, I agree with the, the, the sentiment, Chris, you don't want to rush them back. But anyway, this podcast is quite a long one. So yeah, thanks to the listeners. If you've got this far, um, listen to us for Ramble On about four fantastic wins though. So it has been a very, very good podcast. Yeah. Um, we should ask people to tweet us, Ollie, so that if they if they if they've heard this bit, just to prove they listened to the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, maybe I have to give them a, a sticker or a badge or something for getting this. We're in secret word territory, aren't we? If you hear, yeah. if you're listening, and Chris has said, "What what you usually provide these things, Chris? What what what, what word are we talking?" <laughs> the kit, the code code word. My yes. son actually gave me a one to get into the podcast today, and I failed to do it. So yeah, the code word needs to be jive because that was the word my son wanted jive. me to get in. There you go. You yeah, can work out just... why that was, Dan. You know what I've been doing today. Yep. I've cool. let you off that as well. I'm not even going to go. The fact that you went to oh, God. dancing, yeah, we haven't go got there. time for that. We can we can save that in the ammunition <laughs> box. And yeah, I haven't mentioned. Yeah, we've been kind to Chris on this podcast so far. So yeah, let's let's keep it keep it that way. So yeah, thanks guys for listening. Um, for listening, thanks guys um, for joining me on the podcast this week. It's been a really really good episode. Hope everyone's enjoyed listening to it. It's been fantastic to have four wins to talk about. That is just fantastic. So yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Let's enjoy, hopefully fingers crossed something happens on transfer window day. Um, but if not, we'll be back again soon.